Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 116 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Doug Sirocco about the return on investment of giving things away, a free-to-the-public event space in Doug's case. Today's podcast is sponsored by Spotlight Branding, which wants you to know that having a new website designed for your law firm doesn't have to suck. Spotlight Branding prides itself on great communication, meeting deadlines, and getting results. Text the word WEBSITE to 66866 in order to receive a free website appraisal worksheet. Today's podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, which is ridiculously easy to use and packed with powerful features. Try it now at freshbooks.com slash lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists and its smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. So today, Aaron, we have a question from a listener. Yay! Alex Bainov wants to know how to say no to a client. Uh, he He's asking about a client, and let's say you've decided that they're difficult, but it wasn't because they didn't pay their bills. They paid their bills. They got things to you on time, but for whatever reason, you don't want to deal with them again, and you've told yourself you won't. But then they come back and they ask you to do more work for him. And he's wondering what's a way that you can say no and how without ruining that relationship. Thoughts? So I think you and I both have personalities where saying no is not particularly difficult for us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I can appreciate that for a lot of people, probably better people than we are, (laughs) that saying no to people is hard. And so I think putting myself in those shoes, it depends a little bit on your particular personality and your practice profile and who this client is and ongoing relationship stuff. But I think generally, the answer is keep it as simple as possible of Actually, I'm not able to take this case right now, but I'm happy to find someone to refer it to and send them to someone you think will take it and do a good job for them. Yeah, I mean, I want to suggest strategies like, you know, you can sit down with them and explain that it didn't work out for you very well and it felt like you guys didn't work well together. But I think when you do something like that, when you try to explain it too much, you're just opening the door to being persuaded to take on that client again. Right. Then it's just them trying to negotiate your objections away rather than it just being done. Yep. Uh, I just don't have the time to take your case right now, or it's just not a good fit for me to do this work, and I'd be happy to send you to somebody else, and I'll make sure that they have all the background information they need to make these revisions. Yep. I'm not able to do this right now. You don't even need an actual reason. I'm not able to. I have noticed that saying no is difficult for a lot of lawyers, and saying yes can offer opportunities. We talked to Andy Haugen um, a, a little while back about how he likes to say yes, and it led to you know some really great opportunities for his practice, but... I also feel like saying no is one of the most important skills that a lawyer can, anybody in business, but a lawyer can have. I think they actually aren't even a little bit contradictory concepts. I think the idea is say yes to things that create upside opportunities. Be open to things that create new, big opportunities for you, like Andy saying yes to buying someone else's practice. Say no to stuff that you know is holding you back that you hate. 
so that you have the time to say yes to the big new opportunities. Say no to literally everything outside of what you're focused on doing and growing and being successful. Yep. And it's even little things like I, I have noticed so many lawyers have a hard time getting paid because they, the client says, well, would you take a payment plan? No. No, I don't take payment plans. I have a policy at my firm and I can't, I can't violate that policy. Sure. Like, I mean, y- you just decide ahead of times and don't let yourself get talked into things because no, you so don't do I, it. I, I think the only caution I would have on that is sometimes growing a business is hard work that's not fun and you have to roll up your sleeves and just do it. And that's different than working with toxic people or people who are holding you back from doing what you need to do. But if you don't like asking for money or don't like being on the phone, like you don't get to just have it's uncomfortable for me be the excuse for you to just do what you love. You're not going to grow your business that way. But surrounding yourself with people who are holding you back, say no to that. So I'm going to I'm going to segue now. You ready for this? Let's do it. Lots of lawyers say no to just about any opportunity to give things away for free. Ooh, I like where this is going. And I love saying yes to giving things away for free. And I think today's podcast, and one of the reasons I'm excited about it is because Doug didn't just give away a little thing for free. His firm built an entire event space and then gives it away for free constantly. So let's hear that interview and talk about why that is actually a terrific business idea. What a segue. Hey, this is Sam again. Uh, Real quick, I didn't get my recording turned on for this podcast. And so the recording comes from Doug, who was awesome enough to record it. And our audio engineer, who edits every episode and makes them sound as good as they do, Um, has done his best with it, but the quality might be a little bit lower than you're used to. So just a heads up, and I think it's a great interview, so I hope you're able to get through that and listen anyway and enjoy it. Um, So here's the interview. Hi, this is Doug Sirocco. I am an intellectual property attorney in Oklahoma City by day, and by evening I am a crusading do-gooder. Doug, I've always wondered about um, lawyers who describe themselves as attorneys versus lawyers. Is that a conscious choice for you? No, not really. I think I kind of go back and forth between attorney and lawyer, however it feels in the in the particular sentence. I, I, I think maybe technically there is a distinction, but I, I've, I've always just wondered like how people choose. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it kind of whatever feels in the moment. It's kind of like <laughs> dashes or EM, EM dashes or commas. You know, I don't I typically don't stand on grammar uh, very well. So, <laughs> OK, so random digression. So, Doug, uh, uh, tell us about your practice. How big is the firm you work at um, and what is what is your day to day look like? Sure. My day-to-day doesn't have a typical day-to-day, so I think most attorneys understand that kind of concept. But, um, you know, our firm, Dunlap Cotting, uh, down here in Oklahoma City, we have uh, an office up in Chicago and then some satellites out on the East Coast and down in Austin. We're about 20, 20 attorneys or so, a couple technical people with PhDs, um, high level. Um, most How many staff? Staff is about 20. So we're, oh, wow. we're pretty heavy one-to-one uh, staffing, and that's including paralegals, uh, legal assistants, you know, back office, things of that nature. Um, it just usually, we seem to have a caseload that requires a lot of uh, assistant type help or paralegal type help. So, and uh, what kind of companies do you work with? You know, we're a bit schizophrenic that way. We either are working with very small startups or artists or creators and other types of makers, you know, um, 
or on the other end of the spectrum, we work with a lot of international um, or multinational types of companies of uh, home and medical devices and pharmaceutical devices that we've all kind of probably heard of. Are there many like individual people just out there inventing things anymore? You know, there is every day. That's what my life, you know, what keeps my life interesting, I should say, is those kind of cold, random calls or emails that we get. And you just never know who's going to come up with something. You know, it could be the, you know, we kind of jokingly say the pooper scooper idea, you know, lots (laughs) of, you know, the things that, you know, kind of bother you. Uh, when you're out and about in your day is, you know, kind of the fodder for, you know, inventions. But, you know, you can see that we see a lot of high tech. So young folks, you know, that are into coding or other kind of app development type stuff that'll come in. And then you'll just see folks who are looking at um, maybe jumping out of their day job uh, in engineering or something of that nature. And they have, you know, an idea that they w- they want to play with. So how often are there ideas, stuff where you're just like, yeah, that's already been invented? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. You know, maybe 20 percent, 30 percent of the time. You know, I hate yeah. to be the buzz killer. Uh, you know, people, <laughs> people come in with these great ideas and they're very excited. And, you know, they've probably watched an episode or two of Shark Tank. Um, and, you know, we'll go out and look for something and, and see because we want to, you know, if it already has been invented, we don't want to waste their money. Um, on, you know, a patent or some other types of protection. And so we go out and look, and, and a lot of times it won't be exact, uh, but we'll find something that's close. And really the good people who I will call, you know, consider the, you know, the inventors, the innovators, the entrepreneurs will look at what we bring back and use it to spur kind of the, the, the next generation of the technology, let's say. And are you a partner at the firm? Yes, I am a partner. I'm one of the four equity partners in the firm. How, so you must have uh, three, four, five uh, younger associates that are working or junior associates working with you? Yes, I do. We have um, probably about 15, I guess, uh, junior and younger associates senior, you know, associates that kind of runs the gambit. And we kind of tend to let people call themselves what they want to call themselves. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have a pretty flat hierarchy, I would say, internally. And uh, it becomes usually more of an ego-driven thing or, you know, something that they need or feel that they desire to to buttress their client development activities. So so, so you expect everyone there to build their own client base? Uh, not really. You know, it, typically what we find is we're a very entrepreneurial uh, type of firm. So we attract people that enjoy that side of things, certainly being community-minded and involved in, in, in their client's business or, or the, the, the other types of things that are going on around the world. Um, but we don't really typically need somebody to develop a book of business coming in. Um, we are uh, an all-for-one, one-for-all type of firm, so we don't do origination credits or anything like that. So it's it's you, you've kind of got to buy into the belief that it's a it's a community collaborative effort over a, an individualistic effort. Okay, so you said you don't need to do a lot of client development. So how does it happen then? How does it happen? Typically, it's it for us it's word of mouth. You know, if you think about it, being an IP firm in Oklahoma City uh, mainly would not really typically I would say um, be the first thing that people think of is, is a high-tech firm working with you know multinational kind of clients and what we've seen and you know kind of my standard kind of funny pitch is that you know the the economic downturn was really good for us um, other than the fact that I spent about 70 or 80 percent of my time on an airplane um, mm. 
we, you know, spend a lot of time talking to people, following up on, you know, kind of introductions and word of mouth of people saying, you know, hey, we need to decrease our, our, our overall legal spend. How can we do that? And, and people were willing to look kind of from the coasts and overseas uh, beyond just the New York, the L.A., you know, Chicago's the, to look more internally into these what I would say kind of second tier uh, markets uh, to help decrease some of their costs. So why so much time on airplanes? Uh, we, we kind of still believe, or at least I do personally, that, uh, that it's, you know, law is a relationship driven um, business. And so we have t- always taken the position with our clients that it shouldn't cost the client for where we decide to live. Uh, hmm. So we kind of, you know, if we have a client in Philadelphia, we want them to feel like we're in Philadelphia uh, or if it happens to be over in Europe or, or someplace else. And so we spend a lot of time visiting and spending time and, and really getting to know our client's business um, kind of on, either on our dime and then certainly not charging for travel and, and those types of costs. Do you have kids? I do. I have t- two younger kids. How old are they? Uh, my my son is 11 and my daughter is four and three quarters and she's very very <laughs> insistent on that three quarters. That's awesome. Um, how do you how do you juggle that travel with being a dad? How does that work out? You know, it's really tough. Um, and my wife is a is a clinical psychologist, so both of us have pretty busy days. And yeah. fortunately, we were very lucky to have kids that are um, very flexible, uh, <laughs> very easygoing. And what we do is we just kind of split up the, uh, the, the duties and really we've kind of made an agreement that, yeah, I may have to travel two or three days during the week, but we're, we're, I'm going to make it kind of power packed, right? That mm-hmm. it's, I'm not going out for a meeting on Tuesday, coming back, going out for another meeting on Wednesday. Uh, it may be where it's just all, all overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday, and I'll try and pack six or seven meetings from home you know, at least two or three days a week. Um, that's a little bit harder, but then I, I make a, I, I make a rule kind of that I'm home every weekend. Oh, nice. Uh, my wife is also a lawyer and she has, uh, probably the, the more harder job than I do. And, um, we've been having a spring where I'm gone for a few days and then I'm back for a couple of days and then she's gone for a few days. And then it's just, uh, so I'm always kind of curious about how, how families work that out when somebody's traveling a lot or both are traveling a lot. It's it's kind of just hard to find those quiet days when you get to relax and be a family together. It's funny because I, I just came back from a lunch and they, they said, so what exciting things have you been doing in the evenings? And I said, well, hmm. really when I get home, um, both my wife and I, it's, you know, it, it's very exciting for us to be in bed at nine o'clock or have, you know, <laughs> have pajamas on. Uh, <laughs> Sitting totally. on the couch. So, uh, you know, those are those are our exciting times. So, uh, Doug, you came to TBD2, our second meeting of TBD Law, and uh, and we learned that your firm had done something really freaking cool. And so that's why I wanted to talk to you. Not that I didn't, I'm not interested in all the other stuff about you, but, well, say what it is first. It, it's cool. Uh, I usually refer to it as crazy or nutty, um, or I should say other lawyers sometimes will say it's crazy or nutty. Uh, we basically, we moved into, we bought a building, an old warehouse back in 2011 and converted it into our offices. And it was in an area called Skid Row at the time. Uh, it's kind of blossomed into kind of a 
an area with a lot of professional services companies and, and retail and commercial and stuff. Wait, it's it was actually called, I mean, Skid Row is what you called like the, the shitty area town where there were drunks in the gutters. That's still what they call it? it well, not anymore. Now it's okay. gone back to its <laughs> proper name of Film Row, which was the film exchange <laughs> district where when you, back in the days, you'd come in and get all your movies and pick them up and take them out into the different rural areas. Gotcha. Uh, so we have still the largest standing collection of buildings, you know, from Warner Brothers and Paramount. Uh, ours was a set, half of our building was a set building company, and the other half was a, an ice company uh, that would sell ice. But, hmm. you know, that's, when we kind of were looking at it, it was called, it was film, it was Skid Row. So it, it was really where the bums and, like you said, the shitty area of town. Um, and as part of that, in one of the, and as part of our office build, we created about a 2,500, 3,000 square foot, uh, event space, uh, that we basically, indoor and outdoor, that we allow anybody in the community to use, uh, pretty much for free. So there's, there's a cool article about this that we'll link in the show notes, but, um, but I'm trying to remember, you just were like, hey, we're building out an office and we've got all this extra space. Let's just make it into an event space and give it away. That is kind of a crazy idea. It, it is a crazy idea. Um, I like to kind of put it that it all came together in one brilliant fashion. Um, but it, it, it's more of a serendipitous route. And I'm kind of the, the, you know, the person who believes that you ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And um, I was the, the person in charge of the build-out for the building and, and doing all the designs. And we bring in lunch for everybody in our office every day. And so we need a kitchen and lunchroom, and everybody sits around a, kind of a bunch of big tables. It's kind of like a Knights of the Round Table kind of thing. Hmm. Um, so we needed a kitchen. The best place to put the kitchen, there was this gigantic commercial over, you know, garage head, overhead garage door. Uh, well, why don't we make that glass like, you know, out in California, you know, where you have these restaurants that open up. Well, if you're going to have a garage door with glass, you don't really want to look out into a parking lot. So let's, this area between two buildings, well, let's turn it into a kind of a gardens. If we're turning it into gardens, why don't we have a stage? And then why don't we have built-in seating? And it kind of just snowballed from there. And as we're going through this process, one of my partners, uh, Nick Rouse, said, well, you know, we're only going to use it maybe 0.003% of the time, right? It's Oklahoma, it's it's windy, it's hot, it's, you know, hopefully our everybody isn't hanging out there all day. You know, there's actually some work being done. <laughs> and so that kind of gave the idea that, well, let's just make it available to people who will use it and kind of see what would happen. Um, Oklahoma City is kind of going through this renaissance of, um, uh, rebuilding and, and investment, uh, public-private investment. And so there's really become a lot of attention focused on the placemaking and community building. And so we thought, well, maybe, you know, we could have this little urban pocket garden um, and, and helpfully build a little bit of place uh, around where we, we just happened to decide to put some roots. So you built a sweet space for concerts and events and then gave it away for free. And gave it away for free. Yes. My other partner, Mark Brockhouse, who's more of our financial guy, um, still likes to tell me that, you know, we could be running out those parking spaces for X amount of dollars <laughs> each, <laughs> each month. Um, although after our first kind of concert outdoor festival type thing that happened and we had lots of people from the community, obviously down in the space, he, uh, 
after a few adult beverages, he did he did admit to me he won't remember. He doesn't. He says he doesn't remember admitting to me <laughs> that, that okay, yeah, maybe this was a good idea. So I need to take a few minutes to hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, uh, let's keep talking about your crazy idea and why it might actually have been worth it on the balance books anyway. Spotlight Branding is an internet marketing company that doesn't suck. Most solo and small firm lawyers have had at least one truly miserable experience with a web designer or internet marketing company. So if the idea of launching a new website for your law firm makes you queasy, they get it. Spotlight Branding prides itself on excellent communication with its clients, being responsive, professional, respectful, and delivering what it tells you it's going to deliver. Spotlight Branding works exclusively with solo and small law firms. Services include law firm website design, email newsletter management, social media marketing, and more, all designed to make your law practice more profitable. And Spotlight Branding is currently offering a free gift to our listeners. Simply text the word WEBSITE to 66866 and receive their free website appraisal worksheet, an easy way to evaluate your web presence, identify what's working, and spot opportunities to improve. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three client projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to modern life as a small firm lawyer. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, and get paid up to four days faster. See when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBook is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Okay, we're back. And Doug, when I heard in small groups at TBD Law that you had done this, I was like, oh, I did something similar. I mean, much smaller, but similar. When I was uh, representing tech startup companies, I told them all that they could use my conference room whenever they wanted to for board meetings or for shareholder meetings, for uh, investor meetings, whatever they wanted, uh, with the idea that, um, A, if they're having their board meetings in my conference room, uh, I can I can even be the secretary. And chances are, as they're talking about their business, I'm going to identify, hey, you need me to handle this thing. Hey, you need me to handle that thing. And voila, I've got more work to do, which is great. And um, the other piece of it was, you know, if they're pitching to investors in my conference room, first, I've got a cool office where it makes them look good. So they might actually want to be there. And then I get to meet the investors and meeting rich people 
who want to invest in companies is not a bad idea when you are trying to represent those companies. So that was my small idea. And, you know, I'm not sure I did it long enough to prove, to do more than prove the concept, but I certainly got a lot of work out of it. I met some investors and uh, it wound up, I think, being totally worth giving that space away. I mean, you've done this on a much larger scale and you're not really targeting your clients with this. You're targeting the community. So how do you, I mean, how do you gauge the, I mean, you just said that one of your partners was like, this is totally worth it. But um, it sounds like that was worth it from a, we just did an awesome thing perspective. Can you also rationalize it as a, as a business expense? You know, I think so. And I, you know, I go back, I, I believe the same way you do did was, I think it was a David Meister or, or in one of his podcasts or books or something said, you know, if you're in the room, you get to help decide who gets to do the work. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, when we, the majority of our clients, probably 85% of our revenue in the firm come outside of 500 mile radius. So they're not um, coming to your event space. So they're not coming to our event space. And let's, you know, I mean, not a lot of our clients actually travel to Oklahoma City. Um, you know, it's a little more frequent now if the Thunder are doing well. And in the playoffs, we saw <laughs> we saw a few more people coming into town at that point. But for the most part, they don't. And so for us, it was more about developing and helping to develop a presence in the city that maybe we didn't have. Um, we're a 60-plus-year-old firm. And, you know, with this two senior people who are on the name, Mr. Dunlop and Mr. Cotting, kind of retiring. Uh, you know, I was wondering about that. I totally didn't ask you about that. So their names are, they're, they're gone. Their names are just still on the firm. They're still on the firm. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Dunlop passed away a number of years ago, and Mr. Cotting has been retired for a number of years. And fortunately, the, the, the three of us who, who had the majority of the firm, or, you know, owned the firm at the time, decided that we didn't need our, our egos didn't need the name on the door. Gotcha. Um, and so it was a lot easier not to reprint uh, letterhead sometime, every time someone new came by. Um, <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, and but you know, it, it we we're a firm that you know isn't kind of a, a financial. Cra- we're not crazy. Um, you know, we kind of reinvest in our people and 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 don't build up huge surpluses and stuff. And so for us to be able to make a difference. Uh, in the community, we weren't kind of the big firm that could write, you know, a hundred thousand dollar check to the to the ballet or the Philharmonic, and so for us, it became, well, what can we do that makes a difference? And then, you know, we talked to some of our clients, we talked to some of the quote young people uh, that we knew and came through, and and everybody said, well, we don't have places to get together and do things, hmm. and you know, that was one of the things that was you know kind of deemed missing in our city. You know, there's, there's the coffee shops and bars and stuff like that, but not the just real kind of creative places. They didn't have as many co-working spots as in the old days. And and so kind of listening to that, that's kind of where a lot of this kind of percolated was, well, let's have people come through. And, you know, we've estimated for, you know, people that have asked that, you know, over the last four years, it's we've had about 30,000, 35,000 people um, come through our offices. You know, see our signage, see our materials, see our brochures. We have a, you know, 1950s neon sign is, you know, kind of diner sign is our signage on our building, uh, kind mm-hmm. of keeping with the, the area. And the, the community has really kind of gotten to know us, uh, know who we are, know what we do. And so 
the the amount of advertising I would say or marketing in in our community as to what our values are, not necessarily that you know what we do or the excellence of what we do. I guess I should say. Uh, is really what's kind of shown through, and as we've seen from um, maybe a younger demographic, um, the millennial demographic, folks who are now getting in a position to drive kind of legal spend in our local community, uh, you know, those ideas of community and placemaking and engagement um, are, are driving a lot of uh, where a lot of their dollars are having to go on the legal spend side. Interesting. So, yeah, so for us, I mean, it, you know, our name's in the paper three or four times a week. Um, you know, I, one of my little things I love is that, you know, other firms sponsor events, but the people are holding their events at our firm. Right. So, you know, it may be, you know, uh, the Alzheimer's Association is having a benefit here, and then it'll say, at Dunlop Cotting. Uh, <laughs> so we're on the primary bill. So it's, you know, it, it kind of gets our name out there. Yeah. By the way, I'm just checking out your uh, uh, your firm on Google Street View, and that is a totally badass law firm sign. <laughs> like, no, it, like you guys have to check this out. I'll try and put it in the show notes, but um, it it literally looks like a diner sign. It's full of neon. It's beautiful. It was funny. We had some clients that came in from um, Switzerland. Uh, they just happened to be in the U.S. and they came in and they stopped in to talk to us about something and they were walking down the street to find our office and they're like, well, we'll just stop in, in this diner to ask where they happen to be. And much and to their happened surprise, to be it. Yeah, much to their surprise, it was the law firm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the goal was is to kind of communicate who we were, what our firm values were, um, broader, and in a way that um, we could do it. You know, for us, once built, we built the infrastructure our overhead costs for making this available to community, kind of like you with your conference room and stuff, you know, these spaces are, are available. It's built now. So there, I mean, it, you know, my favorite kind of funny thing or, you know, is the beginning, you know, we've got a Coke machine, you know, where you go up and fountain drink and everything. And, you know, the question was, is, well, you know, how do we police this? So people aren't using it crazily. And, and mm-hmm. I said, well, let's, Let's just let everybody use it as much as they want uh, for these events, and then see what the extra cost was. And you know, it ended up being forty bucks. So right. <laughs> you know, for forty extra dollars of syrup, everybody gets to make their own coke, and you know, the kids that come in, you know, do suicides, and you know, it. it, it, it you know, I've been speaking to a lot of partners that we've kind of made around the country that are in placemaking, and. You know, it really comes, if you think about it, from even just 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the morning, there's, you know, four, five, six thousand 6,000 hours in all the space that we create in conference rooms and hallways and, you know, gardens or, you know, nice-looking little grass, you know, areas outside buildings. They just aren't being used. And the ability to take, you know, a couple hours here or there and let people use the space, um, we've seen lots of new startups, lots of new... Um, community-minded projects uh, in areas, things in the soft IP side of things, not just IP patents, but trademark, copyright, litigation types of matters. That you know, now when people think about those types of issues, they, they, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is Dunlop Cotting. So, do you get tempted to expand beyond IP? I mean, like, I feel like with all these small businesses and and locals coming through there, it would be awfully tempting to start picking up small business law clients. You know, we, we, we 
it would be. Um, we, we live in a kind of an ecosystem or ecosystem here of law firms that because we do only IP, we get a lot of referrals from general practice. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of been a standing thing of uh, Mr. Standing principle for Mr. Cotting was, you know, you don't, you don't poach, right? And so be the best that you can be or do the best that you can within the area that you do and then hand off to the best people that are out there that are going to do you know, the, the general practice or, you know, the corporate law or um, other types of financial matters. And so we've kind of developed a real nice relationship back and forth with a lot of firms here in town, across the country, frankly, where because we don't poach, because they know we're not interested in, in those types of areas, uh, that we get those referrals. I, you know, I forget about um, the value of, you know, poach or don't poach as in those relationships. And um, I, there, that's a main reason that people don't like referring to big firms is because big firms poach, even though they say they won't, um, <laughs> because they do it all. Uh, and they just, and what, even if they don't intend to, even if they have good intentions, sometimes their client will just go, Oh, you know, it'd be easier to just do it all here. Um, it's easier. I'm so, here. Do you have somebody that can ask this question or, you know, mm-hmm. even if you have the best intentions as being the uh, you know the person who's received the referral, it, it, it can still happen. So if uh, if you were hearing from another firm that was wondering about this and and wondering about how to get started, what would you how how would you tell them to think about this? Well, you know, we did it backwards. We built the big thing, uh, and now we're you know our, we're seeing our conference rooms used all the time, kind of like like you were doing. I think that's probably the better way to go about it, uh, the smarter way to go about it. Um, but, you know, just taking that, that, that place and using, you know, that conference room, let's say, you know, and letting you know, the people use it to, one, get together and have a place. But like you, we see the young tech startups or, you know, the organizations that are bringing in the VC funding people or who want to do a Skype you know, video conferencing and look like they're sitting in cool offices and, you know, being taken a little bit different, seriously, more seriously, you know, is to just jump in and, and, you know, I I made some comments at an award ceremony the other day and I just said, you know, for us, it's really easy. You know, we just built it. We have it. You know, we get to say yes to things. You know, people Mm -hmm. come to us and say, we'd like to use it in a special way. And I get to say yes. Yeah. Uh, That's easy. And, you know, we kind of took the non-lawyer approach. We don't have a written contract that people sign. It's just kind of a handshake and, you know, our two rules are, you know, treat all our neighbors with respect and leave the place in a better state than you found it. Um, and, you know, 99% of the time that works out. And so it's, you know, we didn't want to make it feel this, you know, that they were entering into a legal transaction with a bunch of lawyers and we were trying to get something on them. Instead, we held them to the to the high ideals, right? You know, asking, mm-hmm. looking for the best of, of people. And we've seen that people really live up to that standard. You know, I've, I've always had, when I started my practice, when I, you know, with, in lawyerist and in, in life, and maybe, maybe this comes from my parents, I don't know, but it's this idea that uh, you should just give things away for free without any expectation of getting anything back. Um, and, it, and more often than not, it will come back to you and you'll profit from it. Um, but if you try to give it away with that in mind, it probably won't happen. Right. Um, <laughs> so, and, and that goes for everything like, you know, I'm going to give away these forms on my website because I can't really justify charging for it. So why not give it away? See what happens. Um, and, 
And the same goes for the conference room. Like, I don't know, why not? Give it away. Let's see what happens. And I realize that lawyers always want to say, lawyers, business people, many people want to say, well, I'm giving away something of value. Shouldn't I be paid for that? Yeah, maybe. But but if it wasn't hard to give it away, if it didn't really cost you much to give it away, uh, if you made somebody's life a lot better than it, you know, than than what it cost you, like your forty bucks for uh, for syrups for for soda, like why not try just giving it away and see what happens? And and that goes for your conference room or whatever. You know, I when we talk about ROI and and and, and you know how do we measure it, and we see the increase of local you know companies and and things of that nature. Uh, working with us, but it really becomes more of a of a what I say. I want to work with them. You know, it's yeah. no longer about us qualifying ourselves. We're we're pre qualified. You know, as I if I walk into a room, people typically will know who we are and what we do. You know, to to the extent like a very large firm, you know, has that kind of reputation because they've been around. Whereas, you know, that's not something that we could have bought or projected in a just a in a marketing advertising way. And, you know, one of the things that we do is we, you know, food trucks, we've partnered with food trucks and they come down once a week or once a month on a Sunday and they'll, they'll serve 350, 400 homeless folks uh, Hmm. out of the food trucks for free. And, you know, we open up the space to them. We make it available. And I know, you know, a person who kind of saw some pictures from one of those and what really struck them was the, the ability for these folks to be in a beautiful space outdoors, you know, sitting and, and relaxing, but how many of them were using our electrical outlets mm-hmm. and what it meant to be able to sit down, charge your phone, eat in kind of a dignified way. And, you know, the kind of the response that we got when the, when the pre- people called us was that, you know, you're the type of people we want to work with. And, you know, that if, that was one of those things where there's no marketing message that we could have put out there that would have, you know, turned these people on, so to speak, in a magazine or a newspaper, like that image of, you know, making something, you know, whatever the couple cents of electrical, you know, that it cost us for that electricity, the impact that that had on someone's life um, at that moment. So. It's kind of, you know, the, the, at the show beginning, I said, you know, the uh, crusading do-gooder by night, um, <laughs> you know, that was given to me originally, not as a, as a compliment, but, you know, kind of trading on that and saying, well, how can we do some good? How can we do, you know, the evil business kind of side? You know, how do we use it for a little bit of marketing and self-promotion? Um, I don't think those things necessarily have to be, you know, um, at odds with one another. Yeah, and I, I suppose... You know, lots of lawyers try to be the, uh, the 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 first referral that their friends give out by word of mouth, or that their former clients do. But you may have actually cemented your place as a firm that people try to find excuses to refer people to, because you've made a difference or you've done something good that has influenced them, and that that's even potentially more priceless. Yeah, you know, it, it you know, it's funny that you put it that way. I had a call this morning and. You know, it was an artist who's doing, has some contractual matters that they need done. And she said, you know, I, I, I waited and I apologize because I've been traveling a bunch lately. And I apologize for not being able to speak to her sooner. And she's like, you know, that's okay. I was willing to wait to be able to get in and talk with you because I like what you do in our artistic community. Um, and you've helped a lot of artists that I know, you know, kind of start their careers or given them a little bit of advice or given them a place to show their artwork. Um, and that's been a big focus of what we do is just say, okay, 
you know, what's needed. If we can do it, great. Give us the crazy idea. We, you know, a group came to us and said, well, will you, will you let us put up a circus tent and have a Cirque du Soleil type of event using <laughs> your, your space and with aerialists and drag queens and, you know, all this. And, you know, we said, fine, sure. We, we should have asked him what the name of it was, which was the glitter, <laughs> glitter ball. Um, and we, we still find glitter. We're on our third, third year of doing it, but we still find glitter everywhere. So it's a bit sparkly around our office. Yeah, but you've got two kids. It's probably sparkly at home anyway. Yeah, yeah. Sparkly <laughs> and markers on everything. But, you, you know, when we looked at that, that event, the people coming through it were, you know, the people who were the head of, you know, two of the major oil and gas companies in Oklahoma, the utility newspaper. So people that maybe in the past we would have had a hard time getting into even chat about, you know, were, they you came know, to you. They came to us. They were having a good yeah. time. You Very know. cool. It, 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 it's kind of been a fun project. So sometimes do things just because they feel good. Yeah. And it, and it may, may turn out to have an ROI at, that you can you can put a number on after all. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Doug, thanks so much for being with us today. And it was great to meet you at TBD Law. Good luck to you. And I hope you've got fun events planned for this weekend at the at the event space. There are uh, there are 70 things planned in March, as I was told yesterday, <laughs> that we've had. So it's, it, it's bound and determined to have something this weekend. So thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast or legaltalknetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and The Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice.